It's great to be in Manchester, and I appreciate all of you that have conspired together to put the weather in line with my visit. I want you to know that I do depart tomorrow, so you can switch things back to normal. <laughs> yeah, you think I'm joking, but wait till you see this next week, man. You guys are in for it. <laughs> Not really. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. We do love it when we're here. We're so thankful for all that God's doing here, both in World Harvest Bible Church and in your lives, and uh, we're excited that you are a part of what's happening around the world and through our lives. And uh, Julie is, is actually, she flew to the States for this weekend. She had a big homeschool exhibition that was on uh, for her books, and if you haven't availed yourselves to the books, those books will be available this, after the service today. And... Um, uh, and, and they'll be in church as well through the, the books, bookshop from now on. But um, think about what you're a part of. Over 1,500 of those books have sold this last year. It's pretty amazing when you think that she's produced three um, books in one year's time self-publishing. That's pretty pretty hefty pace. And those 1,500 books, on average, each book um, influences more than four or five children. So just conservatively speaking... Over five, you've influenced over 5,000 children this last year to be global leaders, to think globally. Um, and, and literally all over the world, those books have gone to, you know, in Europe and Africa, Middle East, everywhere. So um, you're making a big impact, and I encourage you to avail yourselves to that. Okay, I said Galatians chapter 6, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Father God, for this morning. We thank you for being church. Sunday is fun day. Sunday is a great day to be with you and our family, and we're so thankful, Father, for the privilege to be here. And we pray that as we open up your word together, that by the inspiration of your spirit, we come in agreement with all the prayers that have already been prayed. And we thank you again that by the inspiration of your spirit, that you help us to see like we've not seen before, to know like we've not known before, by the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And we rejoice in it, Father. We have expectancy that over these next few moments, you will open up your life and your wisdom to us, that which is already ours, that which you've already done for us. Open it up to understanding it more than we've ever understood it, that we might walk in the truth and the reality of what you've done for us. And all who are in agreement said, Amen, Amen in Jesus' name. Yes, Galatians chapter 6. As you're opening up and finding Galatians 6, um, that's uh, uh, just uh, one of the scriptures we're going to look at. A lot of verses of scriptures. That's my intention at least. It was my intention last week. And we quoted a lot of them, but we didn't look at any of them. So uh, we're intending to look at these scriptures. We'll see what happens by the end of the service. Um, but if you weren't with us last week, I encourage you to get the message. This is part two of two parts of supernatural relationships. Last week we mentioned there's three key dynamic relationships that God wants you to be mindful of. And one, of course, is your relationship with Him. And we said there's three ways that people tend to relate to God, and one is service, and that is the lowest way. And we made a comment that when talking about that, you can be a servant of God and you cannot know God. And, and so, I mean, that, that's what religion is. And we then said, then there's the next level of sonship or son or daughter of God. And that's a, that's a whole other level of, of relationship. And thank God for that relationship. But we also made a note of the fact that you can be related but not have relationship. You can serve but not have a relationship. You can be related and not have a relationship. And then so we went to that third level and we emphasized the fact that really God's goal is to have you as his friend. 
In fact, under the Old Covenant, we see people like Enoch, Moses, Abraham, different ones that the Bible refers to, even though under the Old Covenant, really the, the, um, the lid on relationship with God was all service-orientated under the Old Covenant. But even then, people pushed through that lid, broke through it actually, people like Enoch, people like Moses who was called the friend of God. Why? Because he fellowshiped with God face to face. And so um, that's under the Old Covenant. They pushed through. How do they push through? They pushed through kind of like, you know, those, that furniture that sometimes we're tempted to buy. Buy now and pay for the rest of your life. I mean, buy now and pay later. And, and so it's that kind of idea that, that they, they were able to push through the lids of the Old Covenant based on the fact that they look forward to the coming better covenant through Jesus. So that's how they did that, by faith. Well, under the new covenant, though, Jesus said specifically in John chapter 15, he says, I no longer call you servants. That's old covenant. There's a change. What is that change? Under the new and better covenant, he says, I call you friends. So you've been called a friend of God, but then you have to respond. Every friendship, every relationship has two sides. No matter how passionately you might want to be a friend of somebody, they've got to want to be a friend back. No matter how much God wants to desperately be your best friend, you've got to want to be his best friend back. Even though he says, if you draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. There's a promise there. You still have to do the drawing near to him. You still have to move towards him. He's already done all he needs to do to make you his friend. He's provided the way. So that was three ways to relate to God. The second way, which is what we're going to look into a little bit more uh, this week, is the church. So three ways, or three Dynamic relationships are supernatural relationships. One is your supernatural relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. That's the pathway through His blood, through His name, calling on the name of Jesus. You're introduced to God the Father and Jesus. But then it's that seal of that ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit who abides in you and that relationship develops from the time of salvation as you continue to go and grow in your relationship. But then there's also another supernatural relationship and, and a major category, and that would be the church. And by the church, I mean all believers. And, and that, uh, let me just read this very quickly. It says, this especially, the, talking about with believers in the church, this, this part, this relationship, or these relationships are especially defined by your spiritual leaders which have a mandate from God. So whatever the mandate from God has called them to do, you partner or koinonia with that, and that relates to your church body or the household of faith, the local church. So when we're talking about believers, we're talking about the church in general, but we're also talking about the local church, and with that we're also talking about spiritual leaders or pastors especially in the local church. But then spiritual leaders are apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And God has called these different spiritual leaders to have specific mandates that they are to call, carry. And the way God does everything in the earth, He does it just like, remember Moses, when Moses was coming in contact with, the, with God, and God and, and that, that bush that burned but didn't burn, and, and he drew near to that bush, and, and God says, Moses! He says, I'm here, Lord. And He says, draw near, take off your shoes, it's holy ground. And I love what God says during this whole passage. Go back and read it sometime because it's phenomenal. God says to Moses, He says, Moses, I have heard the cry of my people. Moses, I have seen the suffering of my people. Moses, 
I have come to deliver my people. And you know what the next thing he says is? You go do it. <laughs> if I was Moses, I'd be like, oh, excuse me, Mr. Bush, that's voice and burning and all this. Let's take a little rewind here and go through this again. You said you heard the cry. I'm out here in the desert trying to stay away from anyone that's crying. Uh, you said that you saw the suffering. You said they're your people. I don't hear Moses and any of that. that. But that's the way God does everything, isn't it? That's the way everything that God does, every purpose that he has, that's the way he works. He brings spiritual leadership unto himself. He anoints them to carry a mandate, a vision, a purpose. That purpose is always bigger than the individuals could ever carry themselves. That's the spiritual leadership. Spiritual leaders are mandate carriers. The mandate is always bigger than the man or the woman who's carrying it. And so just like with Moses, Moses says, but, 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 but I can't even talk very good. And God's in immediate... So in other words, Moses' first response is, is, I'm not good enough to carry this mandate. God's immediate response is, I know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think you were quite good enough to be the only one to make this thing happen. So he says, don't worry, I've already called your brother Aaron is on his way, and he's anointed to do something, to communicate on your behalf. You will speak to him, and he will be your mouthpiece. Isn't that interesting? And that's the way God does everything in the earth. So he calls and anoints vision carriers, and then he brings and anoints people to come alongside vision carriers, and through that way or method, that's how God fulfills his plans in the earth. He didn't come personally. He didn't suddenly poof out of this burning bush and say, all right, follow me, Moses. Let's go do what I just got done talking about. Let's deliver my people. He didn't say that. Instead, what he said is, you go do it. And that's the way he does things even today. He does it through his church. The Bible says he is the head. We are his body. And so his body, if it isn't doing what the head wants it to do, then he is not doing what he wants to do. The mandate comes from the head, but the body does the work, and they have to work together. So, when we're talking about these spiritual relationships, we're talking about church, we're talking about our spiritual leadership, and especially I want you to key into the mandate that God has assigned them to, and then whom God has assigned you to help carry that mandate or that vision. Those are critically important. Then, of course, there's the wider body of Christ and how we relate to the wider body of Christ. And then thirdly, the supernatural relationship would be the world. And we're not going to really touch on that. And in fact, actually, um, we'll start with Galatians 6 here. But the truth is that I, when talking about spiritual relationships, really the whole Bible speaks about relationships and deals with these things in minute detail. Um, and within these three different categories of our relationship with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God, and our relationship with the church, as in spiritual leaders, the local church body, and the people within the local church body, and then also the church universal, and then also the world, and in all those things, there's literally thousands of potential permeations and combinations as to how that might work. In your own family nucleus, your, your, your actual natural family, you will have some people maybe that go to the same church as you, whether it's your wife or your kids. And so they're the body of Christ locally. But then you have some family members that don't go to your church that are actually still believers, so they're in the church. And then also some of you will have family members that aren't born again at all. They're not believers, so they're not in, any, not in even the church. They'd be considered in that other category, the world. And God does have things to say about how we're to relate to those in the world. So think about that. 
Think about the literally hundreds, if not thousands, of permeations and combinations that we deal with relationally as we walk this journey with Jesus. There's tremendous amounts of them. So the Bible deals with these, and we're not going to be able to look into all these by any means, but we'll start in Galatians chapter 6 just to get an idea of how specifically the Bible does relate to and give us instructions on how to interact within these relationships. This is just one example. Galatians 6, I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. That would deal with everybody in the church and outside the church, especially to those who are the household of faith. So he says, in addition to do good in our dealings, he's dealing with, in that one scripture, there's instructions that we're to do good to those that are in the church, and those that are in the church, and those that are outside the church, but especially those in the household of faith. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, just make a note of it. I'm going to go through a number of scriptures here just to show you how the Word of God talks about and deals with all different types of scripture or relationships and gives us instructions on these. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, it says, But if I'm delayed... I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the household of God. So think about that. That infers that there are ways that are right and ways that are wrong on how to interact with those who are in the household of God. In other words, there's instructions to us as to how we conduct ourselves in our relationships. And then he, he defines what is the house of God, is the church. I love this scripture when relating to the church. He says he's the house of God, the church of the living God, the pillar, the ground of truth. It's a beautiful scripture concerning the local church. Another passage, 1 Timothy chapter 5. I said I'm going to go through several of them, and here's another one. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. It says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So this is dealing with not necessarily the relationships, whether they're um, spiritual or not spiritual, it's dealing with your natural family, providing for its own, talking about your own personal family. So the Bible, we can agree, just from seeing three scriptures, and there's many, many more, that the Bible deals in depth with how we should and should not relate with different persons, both with our Father, with the church, which includes spiritual leaders, those in the body of Christ in the local church, and then the church, including the churches down the road, and then also in within our own family, the world, etc. Okay, here's I just did a quick search on the word brother. I'm going to refer to several verses now just by doing a search. If you and if you've never come across what I think is one of the best internet-based Bible study tools is BibleGateway.com. Bible Gateway is excellent. There's many different versions of the Bible on there. It's very, very good. There's others that are wonderful too, but that's one that's very easy for me to use. I just typed in brother, and here's a bunch of verses that came up. Think about the different um, aspects of, of what this deals with. It says, yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, everybody say food. Then say to the person next to you, stop thinking about food. You're not hungry. Doesn't work like that, does it? So if, if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy your food, do not destroy with your food 
the one whom Christ has died. Are you serious? You mean I've got to be careful what I eat? And, I, and what I eat, I've got to be careful that I don't use what I eat in, in a way that uh, um, causes someone else to stumble? Sure. I mean, there's a lot of people in, in Europe, you know, we've pastored here for many years, so we understand this, and it's, it's true in different places and different cultures have different kinds of things that it's okay to do that other cultures find very challenging. And, you know, some cultures, they think if you drink coffee that you're, you're, you can't be saved. That would be a lot of unsaved people in the church in England, right? So, <laughs> tea's okay, though. Tea is heavenly, so everybody knows that. Um, but, and, and, and of course, you know, alcohol's a big one, and we never make, make a big deal about that. But Julie and I personally don't drink alcohol. And one of the reasons why we don't is for this reason. We don't want to be a stumbling block to other people. I believe scripturally you can drink alcohol. I don't think there's any problem with it scripturally, except for this. This causes some problems, because what if I'm out there having a glass of wine in some restaurant, and someone that's struggling with alcoholism sees me as a spiritual leader in the body of Christ drinking, and they see me drinking through a bottle of wine, it's easier for them to say, well, if he can do it, and he's a believer, and he's a spiritual leader, then how much more can I do it? So for us, we've never made it a big deal about telling what other people to do, but for us, that's one of the things that we've decided that we just won't do because we don't want it to be a stumbling block to other people. Is it biblically? Can you prove biblically that you should not drink? I don't believe you can. But I have a responsibility through my relationships to make sure I don't do things. And that's just alcohol. I mean, there's a lot of other things we could talk about. There's a lot of other things. The way we talk, the way we think, the things. Okay, so in other words, our actions, the Bible says that we need to be careful how we influence those around us. I'm taking too much time on these verses. I wanted to go through them quick. Brothers, another one. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12, it says, But to the rest, not the Lord, but I say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe. So this is a wife that is not a believer, and she is willing to live with him. Let them not be divorced. So again, dealing with marriage, divorce, and remarriage, the Bible deals with those things. The, um, the 15th verse of the same chapter, chapter 7, 1 Corinthians 7, 15, it says, but if an unbeliever departs, let him depart. So we have believers and unbelievers. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, so not only to the church at Rome, also to the church at Corinth, Paul said about food. What's the deal with food? I don't know. It was a problem for Adam and Eve. It was a, Jesus was tempted by food. And I'm sure no one here has or ever has any problems with food. So, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, he says, lest I make my brother stumble. Think about that. He's willing to change his diet. He has the right to do what he wants before Jesus. You see what I'm saying? The Scriptures teach us over and over and over again that once we come into the end of the church, how we relate to fellow believers, how we relate to God the Father, how we relate to the world, it changes things. Supernatural relationships. And even though we have the freedom before God to eat what we want, the Bible says that when people tell people don't eat meat, it's a doctrine of demons. When they say you must not marry, you must not eat meat. In other words, a religious requirement in order for you to become born again or see heaven, you must not do these things. The Bible literally says those are doctrines of demons. 
But on the, so in other words, we have the freedom. The Bible says anything that's received with thanksgiving is good for food. Anything that's received with thanksgiving. That means if a person, if I'm not going to cause people to stumble, and somebody used, in, in, in the times of, of, of Paul, people would take meat that was sacrificed to idols and they would sell it. And of course, that would cause Christians a real problem. How can you use something that was sacrificed to spiritual wickedness and, and eat that? Personally, I don't have an issue with that. That wouldn't cause me a problem, but I'm sure there's a lot of Christians that would cause problems to just like, for example, I don't have any problem walking into a mosque. I know people that actually are born again, and they keep a Muslim name, and they go into mosques on a daily basis, and they pray, and when they pray, they're praying in tongues. They keep themselves underneath the radar, and then they work on one-on-one -on -one as the Lord gives them opportunities to win people to Jesus. Some people, Christians, would be like, a mosque? No way, that's evil. I'm not going into a mosque. I've seen God heal people inside the mosque. We were in northern Iraq, and we were, and there were some refugees that they were staying in the mosque because of the fact that uh, they had run out of refugee tents, the running from ISIS, and and so they started putting them inside the mosque, a makeshift mosque in a United Nations refugee camp. And and the the missionary there, uh, Grady Pickett, he says, you know, let's go inside the mosque and, and bring these. We had made uh, had bread was made for feeding them. We went inside, and one of the guys said, "Will you pray for my back? This is inside the mosque. Pray for my back." And and Grady said to him in Arabic, he says, "You know, we will pray in the name of Jesus, right?" He says, "I don't care. My back hurts." The, the floor inside the mosque, because it was a makeshift mosque, was just like this concrete floor. It wasn't painted even, just a raw concrete floor. And they were sleeping on that on just little tiny mats and, you know, little, maybe put a little blanket down. So they're sleeping on that. And so he said, okay, and we prayed for him in the name of Jesus. And the guy was healed instantly right there inside the mosque. Some Christians wouldn't be afraid to go in the mosque. But we know in whom we believe. And darkness cannot comprehend the light. And we are the light. So we have no fear in those things, but some people do. And there's some people that if, if you go into a mosque, that would cause them problems, so you've got to be careful. So you know what I'm saying is, is that once we become a child of God, it changes the way you relate. You have the freedom to do pretty much anything inside the law of God. And the law of God includes the law of love. And the law of love then makes us, constrains us to act in different ways in our relationships with each other that do not pull each other away from God. Even if we know there's no problem with it. How do we behave? How do we act? So there's so many more scriptures we could refer to. But really where I want to go this morning, and we're going to receive communion in just a little bit, and it's a great opportunity for us to make sure we're right in our relationship with God the Father. And again, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you, please go back and spend, get that message because that really helps to build towards where we're going today. But not only with God the Father, but also with that second dynamic of relationship with the church, with believers, with spiritual leaders. It's a great opportunity for us to examine ourselves in our relationships with other believers, especially as we receive communion. And, and, uh, and I want you to prepare your heart for that. Really, but what was in my heart is this. Is I want us to see that God uses relationship to get us to where He needs us. Let me say it a little differently. There in supernatural relationships, there is grace to help you fulfill your God-given race, the plan of God for your life. Comes through these relationships. Now, I did not say 
that God will use relationships to lead you. We know scripturally how God leads us, don't we? We've been well taught. So how does what's the number one way God leads His people? Through the word. word of God, yes. We have a certain and sure word. And so everything else, whether we see an angel, the Bible says, or whether uh, we even see Jesus Himself in a vision, anything spectacular, if it does not line up with the word, as Paul said, if someone comes preaching a different gospel, let them be accursed. For even angels can appear. Even demons, excuse me, even Satan himself can appear as an angel of light. So we want to make sure that everything, all the leading of the Lord, it comes in line with what does God say in His Word. That is the number one way God leads us is through His Word. Some people will say, but I don't feel like God leads me any other way. I would, I would say maybe it's because you're not doing what you already know to do in the Word. In my personal experience, the times when I see something in the Word of God and some light of truth, and I don't do that, it seems as though God is quiet every other way He leads me. When I'm doing that, it seems as though then I, I start seeing more and more of those inward leads, which goes to number two. So the number one category or the number one way God leads us is through His Word. Number two way God leads us is through what I call inward leadings. And within inward leadings, um, there's three that we like to talk about. And the top or the number one way inwardly that God leads us is through the inward witness. Secondly, the voice of your human spirit, some call our conscience. And if you're born again, that's a trustworthy lead. And then thirdly, that more authoritative voice of the Holy Spirit. So number one way, that inward witness. The inward witness is not a voice, so it's more a knowing or perception. A no, a more it seems like, quote-unquote, seems like something. I like what Keith Moore says. He says, it's my seamer. It just seems like I'm supposed to do something. seems like I'm not supposed to do that. And it, and it really, in some respects, it's hard. Like as, a, as a leader, sometimes people will say, why don't we do such and such? And you think, naturally, it seems like a good idea, but it's just something seems like it's not right to do. And the challenge with that is that you can't put it into words. You can't say, because God said dot, 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 and finish that sentence. But it just, I can't tell you exactly why, but it just seems like we shouldn't do that. Or I can't tell you exactly why, but it seems like we should do this. That's really hard when you're trying to communicate things to other people to have that seems like. But the number one way God leads us is that way. In fact, that's the way, he, he, that's the way you know you're born again. And if that's the way you know you're born again, you're a child of God, through that inward witness, through that seems like, through that knowing, through that firm persuasion that's just a knowing, not necessarily a voice, then it must be, if it's good enough for knowing you're saved, it must be good for everything and He wants to lead us in. I personally believe that the number one way God leads us is through the Word. I, I don't personally believe that. I know that through the Word of God. That's what the Word teaches us, through the Word, and then inward leadings. And I, what I do personally believe is that God wants us to primarily lean on those things and build ourselves in our spiritual growth and our development where we don't need the extra spectacular on the outside. Sometimes we're looking for the spectacular and we miss the supernatural in His Word. We miss the supernatural witness in looking for something that's spectacular outside. And then the fourth thing we know about the way God leads His people is this, is we know He does not, everybody say He does not, he does not use circumstances. Did you hear what I said? He does not use circumstances. You said, but what about Gideon and his fleece? Don't forget, Gideon was not born again. Gideon did not have the opportunity to have the inward witness like we do. 
So he had no other choice. He had to use circumstances. Getting in his fleece. You know, he put the fleece out. If it's your will, Lord, make the fleece have you know, moisture on it where everything around it is dry. I think it's the other way around. It started with uh, make you know, the ground moist, but the fleece, the, the fleece have no moisture on it. And then he says, oh, that's too easy. Let's do it the other way around. He had to do it a couple of times. So a fleece, a charismatic Pentecostal fleece would be, God, if you don't want me to do this, close the door. What are we saying? We're saying the circumstances are going to dictate to us what we do or don't do. And who has influence in circumstances of this world? The devil does, certainly. So sometimes a door shuts, and you're supposed to, with the name of Jesus, command it to open and kick it down. And sometimes the door's wide open saying, come this way. Look at all these wonderful things. And you're supposed to say, thank you very much, and close it shut and lock it because you're not supposed to go that way. Well, how do you know when there's an open door not to go through it? How do you know when there's a closed door to knock it open and go through it? How do you know? It's through the inward witness. Inward witness. So, very quickly, Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 16 talks a little bit about this. It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons or children of God. So all of us who are children of God, we can expect to be led by the Spirit of God. Not by circumstance, but by the Spirit of God. Not by prophets, but by the Spirit of God. And for how does He lead us? It says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Then verse 16 is really where we want to get to here. The Spirit Himself bears witness. Modern translation says testimony, testifies, but I like bears witness. Not a voice. Testify, uh, bears witness, a knowing, with your human spirit that we are children of God. And if that's good enough to know you're a child of God, it's good enough for leading in every area of life. So, we know the Bible says that He doesn't use circumstances. Why? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, in verse 4, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, whose minds the God of this age, King James says the God of this world, the God of this age. Well, who's that? Small G-O-D. It's the enemy, Satan. He's blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel... So he's blinded the eyes. Ephesians 2.2. 2, I'm giving you a lot of verses here. Just write the notes down and go back and look at it later. He says, In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So in relation to the enemy, the Bible calls him the small G-O-D of this world or age, and then the prince of the power of the air. In both context, it means that he, the enemy, has some influence of authority in this earth, and the moment you start allowing open doors and closed doors, red lights and green lights, or signs this and signs that, all these different circumstances, you allow circumstances to guide you in this life, then you will end up missing the will of God, because the enemy can have influence in that. So go by the inward witness, and that's a whole other message, but I want to make sure we got that strong and settled, because... I want to then go on to this next point, which sounds almost contrary, but I want to make sure. We said God uses relationships, but not to lead us. He uses relationships through which we can gain grace and partnership in order to fulfill the call of God in our lives. He leads us through His Word, the inward witness, the voice of our spirit, human spirit, the voice of the Holy Spirit, those inward leadings, and then, of course, more outward spectacular leadings too. But He doesn't use relationships to lead us. 
What he does do is he uses relationships to facilitate his plan for our life. Just think about some of these things. Start thinking about the Bible for a minute. Think about how God puts people in different relationships. We see Adam and Eve. We see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We see Moses, Aaron, and Hur. We see Elijah and Elisha. We see Jesus and his disciples. We see Peter and John. We see Paul and Barnabas. Then we see Paul and Silas. Relationships. And we do see things like, for example, Paul and Barnabas were walking together in relationship and then because of a, another relationship, John Mark, Mark, uh, the disciple who wasn't up to scratch in being able to ful- help Paul's team fulfill what it's called to do. He was pulling the team apart. So Barnabas was the uncle to ne- uh, nephew Mark and so John Mark, and so he then went and took John Mark and so his family relationship there, and, and he went with that. And I'm not saying that was good or bad, but I will say this. As far as seeing the story of Paul, we never hear about Barnabas again. What we do hear is there's another person that God used, brought into relationship with Paul called Silas, and we see Paul and Silas from that point on. And I have seen in my personal experiences is I have seen some people that will not step out into the call of God because of relationships that they have naturally speaking. So we have to be careful to be balanced. I, I also have seen people that spend so much time in the ministry that they neglect their family and other really important relationships, and that's not right either. The family came before the church and ministry. Adam and Eve were a family before there was a church. So family is really important. Um, but what I do see is the enemy does use some of these things to pull people in different directions. So I like this picture because I believe this picture is one of the most beautiful pictures of how to balance life and ministry, and that is Jesus on the cross. And Jesus on the cross, he was, um, I don't know, for some reason I feel like I've got to pause here and I've got to step back. Before Jesus ever got to the cross, remember Jesus saw the sheep scattered as sheep having no shepherd in Matthew chapter 9? Who is Jesus? He's the great shepherd. But he did not take himself out of his calling to go to the cross. He, he's, if anyone could be the shepherd these scattered sheep needed, it was him, right? Because he's the great shepherd. He could have met the need. But he did not take himself out of his, call, his God calling, his mandate, to step into something that was needed at that time. Need does not constitute the calling. I wasn't planning to say that, so that's for someone here. Need does not constitute the calling. So, Jesus, if he would have taken himself out of, his, out of his calling to go to the cross and be the sacrifice, the lamb for all, then he would have been the great shepherd to these, but in the end, he would have never fulfilled his calling. He would have been distracted from it. Well, in the same way, so Jesus is on the cross. And it's a beautiful picture of balancing the relationship he has and the responsibilities he has towards his family, naturally speaking, and towards God the Father and the call on his life. And he looks from the cross. So he's finishing his call. And you remember, he's the firstborn son to marry his mother. Firstborn son in that culture has the total responsibility to take care of his mother if the father's not on the scene anymore. And for some reason, we don't see the father anymore on the scene. So I don't know if he died or what happened, but so for some reason, he's not there. And so that would mean that Jesus, the eldest son, would have the responsibility to take care of his mother in that culture. And on the cross, he didn't pull himself off the cross to go down where his mother was there crying and take care of her personally. 
But on the cross, he did take care of her by saying to, was it Peter or John? Saying, you know, son, there is your mother. Mother, there is your son. He made sure his family responsibility was taken care of while also finishing the call of God in his life. And to me, I believe that's one of the most beautiful pictures of how to balance life in our families and also ministry. I believe if we do both right, we can win in both sides. I don't believe it has to be one way or the other. I believe we can raise our children not being upset at life and ministry because it took dad away or mom away. I believe we can um, fulfill the call of God on our life. That's like with me. I never once, when I was spending time praying, I never once told my children, Jonathan or Elizabeth, when they came running into me when they were just tiny kids and they maybe um, interrupted me from a time of trying to just be in the presence of the Lord, I never once said, please leave daddy, I'm praying. Never once, because I never wanted them to think that, that God did not think they were as important as He is. I wanted their, them to know that they were vitally important to God and therefore to me. So talking about these relationships, that picture is really important. So, in, in your grace, there's four things as we finish up this morning. Psalm 68, verse 6, simply says this, God sets the solitary in families. So, there is a family Talking about four aspects of these relationships in the body of Christ, the church, that are important to you to fulfill your grace. There is a church family that is important for you to get grace in order to fulfill your race. We see this in Acts chapter 4. We see that, you know, remember Acts chapter 4, starting verse 23, it says, Peter and John were let go, tell no longer to preach in the name of Jesus. And then it says when they shared this with their own company, their own family. They shared it with the church. They came back to the church. They'd been told, don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And they came back and said, this is what they told us. And then they prayed. So they had this company, it says. I liked what it says in the King James. It says in the uh, New King James, it says they went to their own companions. That's nice too. But I like King James. It says they went to their own company or the household that God had attached them to, the house of faith. Their God company or their God family. Everybody's called to a God family. God has a special place for you in His family. And so, in his family, it says here that after they had prayed, verse 33, it says, And with great power the apostles gave witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great, what? Grace was upon them all. Great grace was upon them all. So there was something that the apostles, Peter and John, got great grace upon them and upon all of them because they came together in a company. There's a company grace. That is also, that, uh, um, that includes, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, it says that um, Paul was praying for the Corinthian church. He says, also, I want to make it known to you that it says the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So churches, everybody say churches, plural. There are sometimes graces that go beyond a local church into churches. You look at Hillsong Church. You look at other churches. There's graces amongst all their churches. And they're all kind of flowing in the same kind of grace. You see here with Bradford and then eventually other churches being planted in different places, there's grace on churches. 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 And it's important for you to connect with your grace. Now, finally, this is a scripture I want to finish with. Philippians chapter 1. And then we're going to prepare to receive communion. In fact, if those that are serving as I'm finishing up the message this morning, if you would make your way to begin to, uh, don't pass out the elements just quite yet. I want to give some instructions, but if you begin to prepare them to be passed out. Philippians chapter 1, 
spiritual leaders. So first of all, we said God sets you in families, and that family has grace that you need for your race, and then also spiritual leaders. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1 is writing to one of his spiritual families, a church that was birthed out of his ministry. And it says this in verse 3, it says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all in joy. For your fellowship, that's a Greek word koinonia, your partnership, your covenant partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing. This is what, this really blesses me. Paul had a confidence when he was praying for them. What was his confidence? That he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. And then he says in verse 7, he says, just as it is right for me to think this of you, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. There is a spiritual grace that these Philippian believers entered into when they partnered with Paul. Now, one of the things we know about Paul is he finished his race. And isn't it interesting that Paul could say confidently, I know that you're going to finish your race. He who's begun a good work will finish it, bring it to completion. How could he be confident they are going to finish? Is because they'd partnered with him and he understood this principle of supernatural relationship that I know because I'm a finisher and because you have tapped into through partnership this spiritual grace that I'm functioning in, I know you can finish too. I can be confident of it. So, as I challenge us this morning, I want you to, first of all, we talked about it a lot last week, think about your own relationship with God the Father right now. The Bible says that we're to examine ourselves. And then we're to partake of that cup. Think about your relationship with God the Father right now. If you're not right in your relationship with God, right now, I want you to get right with Him. How do you do that? You simply say, I'm sorry, Lord, for the things that are between you and me, you confess those things as sin, and you receive the, thanks, the, the, the forgiveness that he has available for you. You can do that right now. Secondly, if you're in this place, the Bible says as we examine ourselves, it says we should discern the Lord's body as we receive communion. We should discern the Lord's body. Why? He says because many are weak, many are sick, many have fallen asleep or died young, because they do not properly discern the Lord's body. What does that mean? It means in the church of that day, the Apostle Paul was led by the Holy Spirit to tell them that one of the reasons why Christians get sick, one of the reasons why Christians die before they should, is because they don't have their relationships right with each other. They're not discerning the Lord's body. That means the body of Christ, our relationships, and also discerning the Lord's body that it was broken for us. I want you to think about that and judge yourself in those areas. If you feel like that you're not right with God, thank God for 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus is a cleansing blood. Maybe your natural family, your husband or your wife or your children or your parents. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, it talks about husband and wife relationships. It says, make sure that you give honor to the wife as a weaker vessel so you don't hinder your prayers. Mark chapter 11, verse 25, talks about when you say, I'm praying, forgive. Hebrews chapter 13 speaks of how that we should 
obey those who are in leadership over us so that we might be well with us and we might be able to participate in that grace. There's grace for the race. In your supernatural relationships, your relationships have something to do with you fulfilling that race. 